The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church for study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC4. And this is Secret Church for episode 10. Preservation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you've got scriptures listed there. Sovereignty. He's sustaining all things and then guiding all things according to his plan. What do we mean when we talk about sovereignty? Well, number one, we mean God has a plan. He has a plan. Days of old I planned it, he said in Isaiah 37. Proverbs 16, 9, the Lord determines his step, even though of him in, a heart, in his heart a man plans his course. Nothing happens apart from God's activity. Nothing. Nothing happens apart from God's activity. Nothing happens accidentally. Nothing happens accidentally. It's all in his plan. That's what we're talking about in sovereignty. Now I want us to think about the plan of God in a few different ways. First, the plan of God is eternal. It's eternal. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. His plan is not chronological. In other words, he's not still deciding what's going to happen next. It's all just like we talked about, all present in God. That's what we mean by not chronological. Obviously, it plays out chronologically in time, but he is Lord over time. His plan is not chronological, and his plan is not changeable. It's not changing along the way. Oh, no, well, then now that this happened, I've got to do this a little differently. It's not changeable. It's eternal. The plan of God next is pur- purposeful. We've talked about this. We won't camp out here very long. God's motivation is his glory. He plans things for his glory. Our salvation and his plan is for his glory. It's purposeful. God has a purpose. It's not random. It's purposeful. Next, the plan of God is universal. And by this, I just want to just give you a little survey, and you can go back and look at all these verses, but all of the different things that Scripture tells us are under the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over all nature. You don't see in Scripture, well, it rained one day. You see God brought rain. God sent the rain. God stopped the rain. God is sovereign over plants and animals. He is sovereign over animate objects and inanimate objects. You look at that, those verses there from Job 37. It's talking, about, um, it's talking about the tempest comes out from its chamber, the cold from its dry, the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice. The broad waters become frozen. frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. God's in control of all that is animate and inanimate. It's all under his sovereignty. He's so, sovereign over all nations and all rulers of nations. He is sovereign over all our days. All our days, our times are in his hands. Psalm 31, 14 and 15 says, Job 14, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. He's sovereign over every single one of our days. He's sovereign over all of our actions. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. You don't talk about today or tomorrow. It's all dependent upon the will of God today or tomorrow. He's sovereign over all our successes and failures. He brings us down. He lifts us up. That's the picture. He's sovereign over all our successes and failures. He's sovereign all over, over all our gifts and talents. He's the one who gives them. He's the one that enables us to use them. And he is sovereign over all our suffering. Listen to 1 Peter 4.19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. Suffer according to what? According to God's will. He's sovereign over our suffering. Now, how does that relate? We'll get to that in the God and evil. The plan of God is universal. Next, the plan of God is effectual. Effectual. In other words, it, it, it reaches its intended effect. God doesn't plan something, and then something unexpected is, occurs, and he doesn't go through like he thought. That never happens with God. It always is effectual. Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. 
Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. The plan of God is willful, is willful. And here's what I mean by that. God does what he wills, but he wills different things in different ways. And this is where I want us to ask the question, is there more than one way of understanding the will of God? I believe Scripture teaches there is. And you look at Isaiah 53 that's mentioned there. It was the Lord's will, this is talking about Jesus' prophecy on the cross, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now I want you to think about that with me for a second. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. God wills the people will not sin, right? He says do not sin, that's his will. At the same time, he willed that his son would be murdered. That's going to involve sin. So obviously in some sense you've got God willing different things in different ways. Same picture in Acts chapter 2 verse 23. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Listen to this. God is not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So in one sense God wills that all people, wants all people to come to, to knowledge of, of faith in Christ. At the same time we know that's not actually what happens in his will in some way, but he wills it. So how do you put this together? Well, I want you to think about it in a couple of different ways. First of all, think about it in terms of God's necessary will and free will. This is just kind of, it's almost a little more philosophical. We're not going to camp out here very long. But God's necessary will involves his nature. In other words, God wills to be. He, and part of his will is to be loving and to be all the attributes that we've seen. That's necessary. Just, it's an essence of who he is. At the same time, God's free will involves his actions. Did God have to create a world like he created? No, but he did it. Did God have to redeem us like he has to the cross? No, but this is what he did. And so his necessary will and his free will. Here's where it gets really interesting, though, the second way of thinking about the will of God, God's revealed will and secret will. And this is where I want to encourage you, when you think about the will of God, to understand both of these, God's revealed will and secret will. Deuteronomy 29 talks about the secret things belonging to God, the things revealed belonging to us and our children forever. Genesis 50 is really kind of the quintessential example, I think, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. You know Joseph's story. Joseph uh, starts wearing his nice bright color jacket and, uh, and his brothers aren't very happy with him. And so his brothers take him and really threaten to kill him and end up selling him into slavery. Now, what you do, what you find out is after he's sold into slavery, he's taken to Egypt, and he ends up being elevated in Potiphar's house, and he ended up, ends up being the means by which God's people are saved in the famine. And you get to Genesis 50, and it says, he, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so obviously in this picture here in Genesis chapter 50, you've got the will of God in a couple different ways. Obviously, he did not will for his brothers to almost murder him and sell him into slavery. That is not what he would want his brothers to do. At the same time, this is exactly what was going to happen in the will of God, that Joseph would be sold into slavery, that Joseph would, would end up being in the place where he is to provide for his people. This is not, oh, no, what's happening to Joseph? How can I make this better? God's in control of this thing from the very beginning. And so what you've got is difference, and we'll skip over 1 Timothy 2 just for the sake of time. God's revealed will is what he declares. And, and these words even in some senses are insufficient. But what I'm talking about, what I believe the Bible understands here, or the Bible is giving us a picture of here, is that 
God declares things in his will. His word is his will, his commands, his precepts. It is God's will for you to be holy. It's God's will for you to be sanctified. It's God's will for you to be pure. Those things. It's God's will for you to avoid sin. So that's what he declares. That's what he reveals to us. Here's my will at the same time. So ask the question, when we disobey God, when we sin, are we out of God's will? Well, in one sense, yes. Out of his revealed will, yes, no question. But it doesn't mean that we've gone off and God never knew this was going to happen and we're, we've just, we're just messing up the whole will of God now. Instead, what you've got over here, you've got God's revealed will, what he declares, and God's secret will, what he decrees. In other words, what actually happens, what we see happen. And you put them together and you see them in Scripture. What he decrees, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is the picture. Perfect example of this is in Acts chapter 4 when the church is recounting what had happened in the crucifixion of Christ. And they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, God, did God declare, be murderers of my son? No. He said, do not murder. It's what he declares. It's a revealed will. At the same time, he willed that his son would be murdered, crucified on a cross. So the picture is nothing's outside of the will of God over here in what he decrees. At the same time, yes, God's will, as he declares it, is being, is being disobeyed at a variety of different points. So you've got both of them in the picture. So how do we bring them together? That's what leads us to the next thing. The plan of God is willful and the plan of God is compatible. And here's these two truths. And this is where the crux of the mystery is in the sovereign will of God, right here. God is sovereign and man is responsible. God is sovereign and man is responsible. These are the two truths that you bring together that are really tough to figure out. This is the antinomy that, uh, that J.I. Packer talks about in Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. God is sovereign and man is responsible. God is, you've got it in your notes there, God is in charge. He is in control of what's going on. God is never looking down thinking, oh, no, oh, no, what, what, what's going on? This is, this is out of control. God is always in charge. He's always in control in everything. You look at Romans 9. This is one of those passages that Paul writes that don't, doesn't get a lot of hearty amens. Before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, talking about Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. The very next verse talks about how we are the clay, and he is the potter. So that which is formed, say to him who formed it, what are you doing? No. The picture we've got in scripture is God is in charge, ultimately in charge. Even when Jesus says to his disciples in John, it's really all over John, but he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You did not choose me, I chose you. So God is sovereign. He is in charge. So this is where we've got to avoid the dead end of fatalism. We're not going there. It's not, we're, well, then we're just all robots. 
That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that God is sovereign. He's in charge. Second, we are making choices. We're making choices. Each of us is making choices. You chose to come here. You choose to hopefully be awake right now. You choose to do these things. Our choices are not, we've got to avoid thinking that Scripture's teaching that our choices are robotic because it's not. We're not these robots being controlled. Our choices are certain, not necessary. This is real philosophical. We can't camp out here long, but necessary choices must happen. That would be to say that we cannot act in a way that's contrary to God's plan. That would lend towards fatalism. Certain choices will happen. In other words, we will not act in a way contrary to God's plan. We will not act in a way contrary to God's plan. At the same time, we're making choices in the context of God's plan. That means our choices are completely real. They are completely real, but not completely free. And what I mean by free here, and I've got to define this because this could be defined in all kinds of different ways by all kinds of different people. By not, by, not, by not completely free, meaning that we don't have God's sovereignty as an umbrella right here, and over here we're making choices that God is waiting to see what we're going to do to figure out what He's going to do. All of our choices are under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. They're completely real. We have responsibility for them, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Now, the question is, and what people have asked, well, how do you reconcile the fact that God is sovereign and man is responsible for making choices? My two favorite quotes on this. One, how do you reconcile the fact that God is sovereign as man is responsible? And one person responded, well, you don't need to because you don't need to reconcile two friends. And in Scripture, we see them both. They're in Scripture. They're both there. And then you've got uh, a guy named John MacArthur, pastor out in California, who says, uh, well, when he was asked, how do you deal with the problem? How do you reconcile the problem of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And he said, it's not my problem. It's it's God's problem. And uh, he will reconcile them in his own way. And so you've got it there. We've mentioned Acts 2, 23, 23. This man, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, this is the quintessential picture in the New Testament. The man was, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Jesus was handed over by God's purpose. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So it was God's purpose that this would happen. If that was out of the purview of God's sovereignty, then God would have been biting his nails up there, waiting to see if he's really going to be crucified. No, he knew this was going to happen. At the same time, he says, you put him to death. Wicked men put him to death made choices. Our choices have real consequences with real responsibility. Our choices in Scripture have real consequences with real responsibility. We are naturally responsible to God. We are creatures. He is the creator. We are clay. He is the the potter. We are morally responsible to God. He is the standard of that which is right and true and holy. We're responsible to him for lack of holiness or holiness. We are intellectually responsible to God because he has revealed himself to all of us, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. And we are ultimately responsible to God. We're ultimately responsible to God. I've got different scriptures listed here that we uh, obviously don't have time to, to unpack tonight. But you see it all over the place. Look in the, you see the Acts 13, 48? This is just a, a simple one. Listen to this. You see both of them here, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. When the Gentiles heard this, this is talking about Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So they believed. They were glad. They honored the word of the Lord. They're acting here. 
They're making choices. They're believing. At the same time, all who are appointed for eternal life believe. It's under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. Same picture in Acts 18 when God tells Paul. Paul's wondering whether or not to leave Corinth because things aren't going very well. And, he, Paul, and God comes to Paul and he says, stay in Corinth. I have many people in this city. What is God saying there? He's saying there are people who are going to come to Christ here. So stay here and preach the gospel. doesn't mean they're just going to come to Christ automatically. You preach the gospel. You choose to preach the gospel. They will come to faith in Christ. It will all be under my sovereignty. This is why. This is why when Scripture tells us that one day a multitude that no one could count from every nation, people, tribe, and language will bow around the throne and sing his praises. This is why we go with confidence to every single people group represented in these scrolls. We go to, with confidence to every single one of those people groups because we know that when you go and preach the gospel to the nations, there will be people who will respond. There will be people who will come to faith in Christ. We know this, and so we go with great confidence. As soon as this picture of the sovereignty of God is undercutting evangelism, we have missed the point of God's sovereignty. We've missed the point altogether. It does not undercut evangelism or mission. It motivates evangelism or mission. I love what Charles Simeon said, just to kind of bring this compatible picture together. God's sovereign man is responsible. Charles Simeon, great pastor, long time ago, he basically said, he said, the truth is not in the middle, not in one extreme, but in both extremes. In other words, when you take God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, the goal is not to try and define the best middle ground. The goal is go to this extreme and that extreme. God is completely sovereign. Man is completely responsible. Go in both extremes. So there's the picture of compatible will of God. All of that leads to the plan of God being beneficial. In other words, the plan of God is good. And we're going to unpack that, but just hold on to that when we talk about God and evil. Practical implications of God's sovereign will. We've got to realize, don't miss this, that God ordains in his sovereignty the end and the means, both, everything together. That means... When it comes to the revealed will of God, what God says to us in his word, declares for us to do, we need to pray for the accomplishment of his revealed will. We need to pray for his word to be accomplished. Thy will be done. What does that mean? Does that mean just say, well, do whatever you were planning on doing? No, it's God. We see this in your word. Your glory is going to be made known in the nations. Show your glory in the nations. We pray according to his revealed will, for the accomplishment of his revealed will. And those kind of prayers, we're not just praying. This is, the, this is another one of the dangers. We can think, well, if, if whatever's going to happen, just going to happen. Well, I don't need to pray. God's going to do it regardless. No. No, that's not what Scripture is ever teaching. Scripture says you pray because it's the means by which God is working in the world. And so pray, and you will be involved in what God's doing in India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. You pray and be involved in what the God of the universe is doing. And you're the means by which he is going to be opening eyes, blind eyes to see because you're praying and interceding for them. So pray. Second, proclaim the gospel according to his revealed will. According to, they will hear and they will believe when we preach to them. And how can they hear and believe unless, unless they hear from us? If all we do is sit here in the southeastern United States, then they will not hear the gospel. God, help us to see this. William Carey, father of modern missions, 
There was one time when he was preparing to go to India, was stood up by someone who had taken God's sovereignty and abused it, and basically stood up, a minister stood up and said to him, some of you have heard this story, he said, sit down, young man, you are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen in India, he will do it without consulting you or me. In other words, God's sovereign, he'll do that whenever he wants to. No, he'll do it when you go. And he'll do it in his sovereignty and your responsibility to go. We're responsible for the Great Commission. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.